Welcome everyone, I'm Alita French and this is the Venture Forth Podcast, where you are going to hear inspiring stories about adventure sports, the great outdoors, life on the road, pushing your limits, facing your fears, and following your curiosities. We're going to get inside the heads of athletes, travelers, creators, and pioneers. We're going to learn about where they came from, what struggles they've faced, their goals, and how they've achieved them, what drives them to do these activities, and why they love the great outdoors, as well as tips on how they stay motivated. We're going to talk about subjects big and small, serious and comical, and how ordinary people live extraordinary lives, and how you can too. So get ready to venture forth and live bravely. All right, I am here with Kelly, and I am so excited to interview her. We're going to talk about a whole range of subjects today, but first I'm going to let her introduce herself. Hi, y'all. I'm Kelly. I'm from Indiana, which is why I just said hi, y'all. And I am a biologist. I study bats when I get the chance. They're my favorite things in the world, as you're going to find out. Uh, when I'm not studying bats, I like to play outside and move my body around and be in nature and learn from nature and be inspired from nature. That's me. That's awesome. <laughs> Have you always been a fan of the outdoors? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. I grew up going to the national parks, going to Yellowstone. My parents even met and fell in love back in the day working there. <laughs> oh, my God. So, that's isn't it awesome? So, I always grew up going out to national parks every summer on vacation and playing outside we had a creek behind our house so I'd go play in the creek in the woods I was always outside <laughs> nice that's great you've always been a lover of the outdoors mm-hmm. what was so what got you into so you're into bats you're into caving you've worked in the parks mm-hmm. you do a lot of outdoor activities mm-hmm. but what was maybe your gateway activity or sport or like the first thing that really got you involved in just really loving to be outside Oh, that's an awesome question. So when I grew up, I lived for a while in Iowa, in Des Moines, Iowa, living in the suburbs, that lifestyle, you know, and we had this amazing bike trail system in my town. And it was back in the day, I had a lot of freedom and my parents would let me get on my bike and ride on the bike trails. As long as I didn't have to cross any busy streets, I could ride wherever I wanted to go. It was all through the woods. There were parks all over. I could ride to the pool. And I just discovered the freedom I had when I was just on my bike, outside, with my friends. I could go wherever I wanted to go. And that really started me wanting to explore the unknown. (laughs) That's amazing. I love my road bike. It is not the kind of activity that I imagined myself being super into Mm -hmm. as an adult. But I adore it. It's the easiest way to just hop on and just get into that flow state of mind and be outside and get exercise and have a beautiful view. It's oh, it's one of my favorite activities, actually. Yeah. What, okay, so you got into biking first. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then what, what other activities do you do? Well, I... I'm a huge hiker. I learned pretty early on that one of my greatest athletic feats are my legs. (laughs) So I would always hike growing up and that was 
never just going out for the day. I always lived in suburbia Midwest, but we would go on vacations. We would go to um, the state parks around the Midwest, and we would go on big visits, like I said, to Yellowstone, to the Black Hills in South Dakota, to the Rocky Mountains. And I would hike like crazy all the way to the top of the mountain, and then I would get the keys from my dad and run all the way down the mountain and then go to the car and get first dibs on the snacks and just hang out <laughs> at the car eating the snacks a little kid with keys so there's a sense of freedom as well and um that was really learning to hike learning to run learning like my my two legs can get me a lot of places and um that was also that sense of freedom and exploration and i was doing that i mean as a little tiny thing that's amazing <laughs> oh that, I mean, it's true. Our legs are such amazing tools. They let us do so many activities and take us to so, so many places. So, bats. Bats. That is something that I am so excited to talk to you about. I am such a nerd when it comes to any kind of animal life or anything like that. And you have such an amazing background with them. And I also feel like that's something that a lot of people are kind of adverse to Mm -hmm. they're not really into bats they have a fear of them they've been I feel like they're such a stereotype of being like the scary creepy animal I want to suck your blood but I feel like you have come to know them as the opposite of that you so so give me a little background here what what was your background in in biology Mm -hmm. and or studying bats and and how did you get involved with doing bat research yeah so I always loved wildlife I always loved animals um but I was never the kid that was like I'm gonna grow up and be a veterinarian that's amazing but I just always knew I wanted to go outside and be with these animals and work with nature and when I was 16 my high school biology teacher her husband came in to talk to us and he was this job called a wildlife biologist I didn't even know that was an option. And from that day, since I was 16, I decided I'm going to be a wildlife biologist. So I went on to get my undergraduate degree back in Indiana, Ball State University, shout out. And um, my professor, one of my professors, Dr. Carter, he was a bat biologist. And that kind of opened up my eyes that bats are amazing. They're really cool. We had all these lab specimens of bats that we were identifying and looking at. And obviously, as a professor um, he taught us a lot about bats so that kind of opened my eyes to how cool bats are then I took a couple years off got into a lot of other activities got into working in national parks doing a lot of public speaking and then I got into caving and that kind of reminded me how much I love bats because when you think about caves you think about bats and it all just came back together until I eventually was able to start working with bats at Tippinogas Cave National Monument where I was kind of getting to study how the bats live in that environment wow while also playing in the cave for science. Just hitting all the birds or bats with those stones, I guess. Yeah. Um, wow. So when you talk about researching bats, can you kind of explain what an average day in mm-hmm. a bat research life is like? What does that look like? Yeah. So studying bats is really cool because they're actually a really understudied species because they're hard to study mm-hmm. simply due to the fact that bats are nocturnal. They're up at night 
And most bats, especially in the um, in the United States, are our little micro bats. They're little brown drab colored bats that fly at night and don't really make noise that's perceivable to the human ear. So you can't really see them, you can't really hear them, and they're really hard to find where they live. So we study bats indirectly a lot. That means that a lot of my work that I've done has been using acoustics to study bats. How do they sound? What sounds do they make? And they make calls in this ultrasound level that's like way above what humans can hear. So you actually have to put out these really, really nice microphones that are made specifically to hear that ultrasound. Then you record all the ultrasound calls they make and you actually go back into the office, into the computer, into the fancy computer programs that allow you to plot graphs of their sound waves. And that's how you study them, is you literally study their sound waves and the patterns they make using pattern recognition to discover what species of bat is that, maybe even a bit about its behavior. So that's a really common way that you can research bats, and it's my one of my favorite qualities about studying bats, because it's really cool to listen to their sound waves and the ultrasound on a graph that looks like a calligraphy stroke. It's stunning. <laughs> Wow, I did not know that. When I think of like researching bats, I imagine you just squeezing through these tiny tunnels and like smearing through guano and then like finding these bats and tagging them and then mm-hmm. looking at them. And like, I didn't realize that their audio was such a big part of your research. What kind of stuff do you guys deduce from that? Yeah, so the really cool thing about audio is that it allows us to look at bats indirectly where if you're going into like a cave and you're squeezing around and you're finding a bat colony often that means that maybe you already know the bat colony is there and so you're probably looking more at like numbers who's there you're maybe even doing more items on like if you're looking through their guano that's picking up their poop we call it their guano to maybe do diet studies to figure out what they're eating or maybe you're doing um, taking samples directly from the bats for like disease or genetic studies but as far as what we're listening to the bats it's a lot of population ecology so like what species are there and how are they moving through the landscape and that's really special to really know how to manage for bats and in the national park service a lot of what we want to do is manage for these animals we want to learn where they are and learn how can we continue to protect them so it's really useful to put up these microphones and just get an idea of who's here where are they and um, what can we do to further protect them as our you know landscape continues to change that's incredible (laughs) I, i so this is something that i have just heard and I'm not sure if there's much worth to it or if it's a true fact I was told that a lot of caves have been shut down in the last decade or so because having humans be in and out of those caves and the noises that we produce has a negative effect on the bats is that is that a true fact so it is is very much (laughs) yeah so you are onto it k a lot of caves in the united states have been shut down and a lot of that is because of bat management and that's for a couple of reasons now it is true that humans going into a cave environment can be hard on bats a lot of that can be if it's any sort of cave that has like a um open door system that now has an unnatural entrance that can really greatly change the microclimate of the cave and if bats are hibernating in there they're really looking in the winter to find a stable environment where they can bring their energy down and last through the winter and if we're opening and 
closing doors all the time, we're turning on lights, we're introducing heat from lighting systems, that can really change the microclimate to the bats, which can be really harmful. But the main reason that our caves are actually getting shut down is because of this really harmful disease that's affecting bats called white nose fungus. And it's this fungus that first showed up in the United States in 2006 in New New York. And it just likes to grow in damp, cold environments. And bats like to hibernate in damp, cold environments. And when this fungus grows on the bats, it just causes them to wake up from their hibernation and then they use all their stored energy and then they often end up just dying of starvation um, because they've used up all their energy and they can't last the winter. So we're closing the caves because um, if you get these spores on you and then you don't properly decontaminate your gear, you have the ability, a person has the ability to transfer white nose from one place to another. So it's all actually more about management for white nose. Interesting, mm-hmm. because we could be the carrier. We exactly. Could be we could be this. the carrier, yes. And, uh-huh. and bats also can be the carrier. Right. And so we're just trying to reduce the movement of this fungus because it's very detrimental. It's killing millions of bats, especially really? out east and now getting more and more into the west and the Pacific. Pacific Northwest as well. Interesting. Mm-hmm. So tell me, where did you specifically study bats beside temp- besides Tempanogos? That's mm-hmm. up in near Salt Lake, that cave, correct? Yeah. So I got the chance, like you said, to study bats in Tempanogos Cave up in American Fork Canyon here in Utah. And then most recently, I was working more with desert bats, bats in Zion National Park, which is in southwest Utah. And that was really fun because that landscape is extreme, which means bats can go to extreme places in that landscape. It's just all cliffs and canyons and all sorts of bats roosting in cracks all along these routes. So it's really fun to study them there. What a beautiful place to get to go out and explore and look for bats. Oh yeah. my gosh. So tell me, we talked about guano a mm-hmm. little bit. Can you <laughs> explain to me how you can decipher when it's bat guano and when it's something like a pat rack mm-hmm. or or entirely different species of 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 scat there yeah so guano is what we call the collective waste of bats and it is amazing because bats one of their biggest ecosystem services is that they eat there's bats all over the this planet they're on every continent except for antarctica and everywhere they eat and a lot of bats eat insects and insects have that really hard exoskeleton when you look at a beetle that shiny stunning beetle in the light beautiful bats can't really digest that so that hard exoskeleton just kind of goes through their digestive system and comes out the other side in their scat which means that their poop is sparkly like a unicorn and in order to determine if it's bat scat or like you said um pack rat scat is really common you literally um i'm a biologist i'm disgusting i will just take some of the poop and crumble it and see if it sparkles. And if it's past the sparkle test, you know you have guano. Oh so they gosh. have sparkly poop, which is one of the reasons they're so magical. And it's also such an amazing fertilizer, too. So if you got bats pooping on your property, they're just taking care of your soils. Absolutely, mm-hmm. yeah. In fact, they, they sell bat guano as a fertilizer all over the place. Yeah, yeah. bat guano is a um, huge industry in itself um, to get this fertilizer. And if managed correctly, it can be one of the best natural fertilizers there are and it saves mm-hmm. billions of dollars in the United States just in natural fertilizer and also natural pest control for farmers especially down in the um, southwest where we have huge colonies of these free tail bats and they oh. just poop and poop and fertilize and fertilize 
That is incredible. <laughs> oh my gosh. Sparkly poop. Sparkly wow. poop. Who oh, knew? I, to be so lucky. I know. Aren't you a little <laughs> jealous of that? I am super jealous <laughs> of that actually. So quick side note on the uh, glitter poop situation. I did a little bit of research and actually if you Google glitter poop pills, you can find actual pills full of glitter that you can eat that will make your poop glittery and you too can be just like a bat. I don't necessarily suggest this, but it is an option. Good luck. I wish someone would be like, you know, I know she's magical because her poop sparkles. Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) So what is one of your favorite parts or experiences when it comes to working with bats when you really zero in on like what you enjoy the most about that what what comes to mind for you yeah the thing that I really love the most about getting the opportunity to work with bats is that like you said this is kind of for a lot of people like an adverse species it's something that a group of species it's something that a lot of people are kind of scared about or maybe just less than ideal a lot of people think bats are just like dirty flying rodents and Mm -hmm. that is just so not true bats are phenomenal because i love science and i love adaptation and i love evolution and when you look at bats they're this group of animals that they found an unoccupied niche they found these nighttime skies and they just took over they just figured out how to navigate in the dark and because of that they're everywhere. They're on every continent and they're so amazingly adapted. I mean, the bats we have around here in the United States, they all use this amazing echolocation to literally use sonar pulses reflecting off their surroundings to find their food. And they have the ability to go into topor, go into hibernation and reduce their temperature down to almost ambient, almost freezing to save energy. And bats can even live for like 20, 30 years. The oldest bat lived for 41 years they're amazing they're long-lived they're intelligent they're amazingly acrobatic they speak in the ultrasound adaptation man they're just they're unlike anything else and the more you learn about them like the more you know you don't know they're just fascinating and they draw you in and they're cute and cuddly and their <laughs> babies are called pups and they're little puppies their they're babies just, are called pups their babies are called pups oh they're literally God. sky puppies how precious they is know. that oh. and they'll fly around with their little pup on them just flying around really yeah. they actually carry their young yeah a lot of bats have the ability to carry their young on them so they are Stop strong it. they are strong mamas it's like that, a little baby Bjorn, but you, they just like latch on. Yeah, just a oh very strong, gosh. strong handle. <laughs> Interesting. Well, I feel like a lot of animal, well, maybe not a lot, but a fair amount of animals in the animal kingdom do that. I mean, from primates and, mm-hmm. and things to kangaroos, they carry their babies mm-hmm. with them a lot. So that, yeah. that makes sense. I just yeah. didn't realize that doing that in flight was so available. How yeah, cool. yeah. That's when um the mothers, when they're lactating, they can eat up to their full body weight in insects each night just to have the ability to for the energy to carry their young and also just to create the milk that they need to feed their young. So bat moms, they are amazingly BA. They are the real deal. That's awesome. God, it also blows my mind to remember that they nurse. Yes. How strange. You don't look at a bat and be like, oh yeah, that animal makes milk for its young. Not the thought that comes to mind at all. Yep. They're still just little mammals. They got little little nipples that you got to look at if you want to be able to sex it when you're identifying a bat and they even have little belly buttons oh my god stop they're furry and some of them are really colorful you blow on their fur and it will reveal a whole pattern in the different levels of their hair and 
Yeah, the hoary bat we have around here named because it looks like hoarfrost, which is just stunning. It's like sparkly white with beautiful deep red tones in there. Really? And huge teeth. It's a giant bat. What that's the hoary bat. The yeah. hoary bat. bat. I wonder I don't think I've ever seen one of those. The only bats I've seen in this area in southern Utah are uh, maybe the little brown bat. They're very small. Mm-hmm. They just chirp around like all the different yeah. light posts at night and eat all the bugs, which I love. I'm always so happy to see them. I'm never upset about it. Like what's <laughs> fun is you think of little little brown bat that is actually a specific species, but I mean the reality is a lot of bats are just little brown bats so there's actually so many different species you could be looking at that you kind of think like oh look at that but um that's part of what makes them so understudied is to most people you can't just look at a bat and identify it in flight you really got to do more like you got to hold it in your hands you got to take the acoustics so it's cool when you do see a bat to think about like that could be anything because there's so many species of bats around here i think there's something like 16 different species that live here really yeah that's incredible now Mm -hmm. i'm so curious as to like which one i've seen (laughs) and which one i haven't like they all look brown and adorable to me because they all are (laughs) they're all adorable and some bats have really um faces that maybe people don't think of them as alternatively adorable they're so cute though like some bats have huge satellite dishes as their faces because that helps with the echolocation call so the call can reflect off their face you have like hog nose bats which just have crazy noses and leaf nose bats and it's like you know there's the ugliest dog contest i think there's the (laughs) ugliest bat contest and some bats are just so weird looking that they're cute Um, if you want to see a really cute weird looking bat you should look up the ghost face bat ghost face yeah ghost bat. bat or ghost face bat something like uh, that and it i'll looks be doing weird. a lot of research after this <laughs> chat believe you me yes mm-hmm. so i did of course go look up the ghost faced bat which is basically the pug version of a bat it's got a smushed kind of little face with giant ears that are basically half moon shaped and it's orange and reddish and it is ridiculously ugly to the point that it's actually adorable do yourself a favor check it out oh that's incredible so what it sounds like you love everything about bats but what is your least favorite part about working with bats and it doesn't have to be pertaining to bats but what was difficult about getting into those spaces perhaps or Mm -hmm. just what was a a challenge that you came across dealing with yeah yeah I mean I really really love bats. I think that the hardest thing is just a lot of like sometimes when we're doing a capturing and handling of bats, mm-hmm. it's a uh, you kind of got to pour your soul into taking care of these animals because mm-hmm. you want to make sure that you don't do anything that could impede their health in any way. And that is a common thing that we'll go out and set up big um, nets. We call them mist nets. And there's other ways you can do this too, but we'll capture bats usually in order to get um different data as far as like genetics or um like guano samples Mm -hmm. and it's just always a little stressful because you um it's the middle of the night you got your headlamp on a bat lands on this very fine net where each netting is like the width of a hair and it's not happy because it's all stuck in a net and you got to take your little hands and get it and pull it out of the net and sometimes you get stuck in their teeth and like it's just Sometimes you're just like, I know, buddy, I know. And then you get them out and it's okay. And you take their samples and you you let them be. But sometimes I just get a little emotional when I'm like, oh, I hope that I'm sorry. It's a little traumatizing. Like none of us would like to fly into a net and right. then 
have things happening. And that's common with a lot of wildlife research that, yeah. you know, sometimes you got to, in order to get a sample from an animal, you got to hold an animal. And that's why we always want to make sure that only people who are properly trained are handling bats mm-hmm. and that you try to do everything you can not to handle wildlife. And um, that's just really important to be respectful to the animals. Absolutely. Yeah. They're not the kind of animal that you just want to go hang out with yeah just and pick them up they are very delicate very extremely so, delicate yeah. they're um they're little they um have actual solid bones in their mm-hmm. wings and unlike you just, birds unlike birds yeah okay. birds have hollow bones and so they do have solid solid bones and you just got to be really careful with yeah. them and the way you hold them absolutely and, um, and such like paper thin wings almost oh they, they're beautiful just... though they are yeah when we um when we capture a bat we always pull its wings open and look at it under a ultraviolet light so that's Uh one way to test and see if there's any white nose fungus on it because it shows up under a certain wavelength of uv and it's fascinating because you get to look at like their wings under it's almost like an x-ray and that's also how you tell if a bat is a juvenile or an adult because a juvenile bat its wings just like in a, um, a child baby their bones aren't fully um fused together yet when it's a child so uh, juvenile bats will have little gaps where it's cartilage in their bone whereas adult bats are really fused so you really get to look at those delicate wing bones with every single bat you handle it's really fascinating oh my goodness that's really cool I didn't realize you could tell between an adolescent and an adult that way yeah it's hard it's hard yeah yeah you definitely gotta have an eye for it and again yeah comfortable with it for sure yeah which so that's an interesting thing have you I feel like we've talked about this briefly, but a lot of people have a fear of bats. Yeah. What kind of maybe advice or or thoughts on that do you have? Because I've got media and movies and just the in general, they've mm-hmm. been kind of demonized, unfortunately. Yeah. What What are your thoughts on that? What would you say to somebody who has a fear of bats? Yeah. So it is true that unfortunately. There is kind of this fear about bats. A lot of it comes from myth. Um, People, some people believe that, you know, a bat is just there to suck their blood. And in reality, there's over 1,400 species of bat. They're the second most abundant order of um, mammals um, just underneath the rodents. So there's a lot of bats in the world, 1,400 species, only three are our vampire bats. And Uh only one is a true vampire. The other are our pseudo vampires. So only three are going to be sucking blood and they're not sucking your blood they're sucking livestock so they're not bats aren't going to come into night and suck your blood that's just not going to happen unless maybe you're in a very specific place in the tropics and it's not going to be you <laughs> you'll be fine and people are also kind of scared of bats because they some people think they're just dirty and diseased and it is true that disease is actually the biggest killer of bats like bats don't really have many natural predators just because they fly and they're hard to reach so disease is a problem for bats however you're not going to get a disease unless you hold a bat unless you Mm -hmm. come to contact with bats so that's part of just don't touch a bat don't come into contact with a bat if there's a bat in your house call a specialist Um, most of us who work with bats all have a couple different vaccinations that anyone who works with wildlife usually has because that's just part of wildlife work because you got to worry about zoonotics But the biggest thing is just to realize that these are amazing animals that serve an amazing ecosystem service. They eat amazing amounts of pests and insects. They're pollinators. We wouldn't have cacao. We wouldn't have tequila. We wouldn't have bananas or figs. We wouldn't have that without our pollinating bats. There's fruit-eating bats that are amazing for seed dispersal. Just It's important to remember that these 
are animals that serve a function in our planet and that they belong on this planet just as much as any other animal and that they're actually really cute and precious and if you get scared of a bat just realize i guarantee that bat is even more scared of you than you are of them (laughs) i'm sure and yeah just as a general rule of thumb if you leave them alone they're probably gonna stay way the heck away from you because they don't want to have anything to do with us yeah Mm -hmm. no that makes total sense so Going along with bats, Mm -hmm. to get to them, obviously, (laughs) we talked about being in the Tempanogos Cave, Mm -hmm. but you have done a fair amount of caving in general, Mm -hmm. it sounds like. Yeah. So tell tell me a little bit more about that. Yeah, so I love bats because I love science. I love conservation. I love animals. But I also, like a lot of us, am a little bit of an adrenaline seeker. And rather than, you know, I'm not the one into free fall, I like being shoved against things. So I like caving because you get to just slither through passages underground. And I have had the opportunity to get into caving with the National Park Service. Um, A lot of my caving work has actually been at Wind Cave National Park, which is the third longest cave in the country at a whopping 151 miles long. That's massive. Yeah, that's massive. It's a very large cave system. And according to some really cool airflow studies, it's estimated we've only discovered 10% of the actual cave passage that's there. So we have just scratched the surface and that's going to be amazing to continue to discover. And so I got into caving mainly just through chance. I worked at Wind Cave National Park originally as a guide. I gave cave tours and I got to learn and research about the cave and take people through the cave and facilitate my love of the cave. And that was amazing. And through that, I also got the chance just to start crawling through the underground. And I've really discovered that the underground is just a whole new frontier. And you get to go to these magical places that are so, so delicate. It is like extreme leave no trace down there, L and T, like so, so delicate. And uh, when you cave, you just get to see like these crystals and these stalagmites and these stalactites, these amazing, amazing structures made simply through the power of like time and water and precipitation. And I just love the frontier of it, that you get to go places that hardly anyone, if anyone at all, has ever been to. And it's just so humbling to discover. So humbling. I can't even imagine. First of all, I'm claustrophobic (laughs) as all get out. So squirming through tight, dark tunnels sounds Mm -hmm. like maybe my worst nightmare It really forces you to surrender. (laughs) You just have to. Oh, I'm too much of a control. I don't know if I can do that. But I, you are, you're an explorer you explore (laughs) through the underground where most people have never even set foot Mm -hmm. that is so incredible side note if you are interested in exploring a cave the timpanogos cave where kelly also worked is in utah near provo and that's t-i-m-p-a-n-o-g-o-s cave that is available to take tours on through from may through October. So they say on utah.gov.com that it is about 1.5 miles to reach the cave. It sits about a thousand feet. Uh, The round trip through the cave back to the trailhead is about 3.5 miles. Round trip takes about three hours. It's about 45 degrees. The cave is open mid-May to mid-October. Funding and weather permitting guided tours are led by park rangers. So 
go to utah.com and check that out. You can actually go explore one of these caves. So back to talking more about caves. I have seen, I mean, gosh, there's so many well-documented videos and photos of the, under, like, huge rooms full of crystals. Oh, my gosh. beautiful underwater. I have gotten to do a little bit of yes. underwater scuba diving in, in caves, mm-hmm. which was, again, terrifying for me. <laughs> but so beautiful and serene and calm mm-hmm. and just, it's a, you're right, it's a whole other world yeah. down there. So you must not suffer from too much of a a claustrophobia yeah I've never I am the type of person um especially when I'm doing a lot of caving I just if I we like to do little squeeze tests where we'll just play games to see how small (laughs) of a space we can get through um like we'll play a wire hanger test and see if you can like get through the wire hanger and like if there's like a fence line try and like squeeze through the fence line and it is important if you're caving you need to know your limits so we actually have a squeeze boxes that you can just bring to lower and lower and lower lower levels until eventually if you're a woman you just get to your hips and they're not getting any smaller (laughs) and that's what tests you but um it's it's fascinating like i said it really forces you to just kind of surrender and forget the world above and it's like galactic travel like you just exist in a new space and i don't know it's just the most humbling thing to me in the world and man i would just do it every day if i could really <laughs> yeah that's so incredible yeah there's, and the I sights mean, you see i can't even imagine yeah and there's so much of the cave systems in the world that is so undiscovered it is literally a new frontier that very few people want to go into or are capable enough Mm -hmm. to venture forth into that's wow yeah i think the best thing is that you have that first fear when you're going through a squeeze i once went through this section that was 200 feet long and it was less than eight inches the whole way so you had to pick a side to turn your head and that was it. And there's no like bringing your body up when it's in an eight inch section. It's literally just inchworming, just slithering along. And it's so tired. You're getting covered in bruises from getting hit up against all the rock. But then you go into that room and you can stand up and it's like you're reborn out of the womb of the earth. And it is so beautiful. You might cry. <laughs> oh. It's just the most, most special, special thing in the world. And caves just really teach you how how delicate our land is true that we really need to protect because you look at caves that have been around for millions and millions and millions of years like wind cave i know a lot of that um that mississippi that um limestone goes all the way back to like the mississippian age which is like way back in time if you look at your like calendar of the earth and so it's ancient rock and you really just got to take care of it so it's taught me a lot about taking care of our earth and taking care of our planet because we're just here for a tiny blurb of this whole span and caving really humbles us about how much we need to foster the care for our earth absolutely mm-hmm. that's so important and so tied into everything <laughs> that basically you have done in, in your life but whether that be through the park service or bats or caving and i mean very few caves have even seen human presence so i imagine Mm -hmm. there's so many different things about our presence that can affect it in a negative way if we're not careful about treading lightly in in the literal sense yeah just humans going through and breathing in a cave changes the microclimate (sighs) (sighs) so a lot of cave research a lot of the work that i have done with the national park service has just been 
doing microclimate studies just to study the oxygen rate and the carbon dioxide and the temperature fluctuating simply just because humans going through like I said that door opening and closing if it's a tour cave that people are going in to see that changes the whole environment interesting yeah so you really got to manage for that and really take care to keep everything as natural as we can as we can yeah absolutely so you I think we've talked about this in the past you got to kind of help explore some mm-hmm. of was it Tempanogos or the winds cave yeah been, like, so new ground to cover, <laughs> literally in, yeah. in a literal sense of the word there yeah so I've had the chance to do a bit of exploring through new sections of cave we call that virgin cave that's somewhere that virgin no cave. human has been before oh my gosh. now when we cave there is a very specific way to do it in order to be safe we set up survey stations all through a cave so that way you pretty much follow a map of survey tags to get to where you need to go and as you you're discovering new sections of cave you literally are drawing new survey stations you're drawing a two scale map using a very specific guidelines of how to map caves it's very fun and artistic and um it's really beautiful because when you are in virgin cave you have no idea what you will find you are the first humans possibly the first um animals at least to have been in that section of our universe and you might find this room that has beautifully adorned frostwork formations all around you these gypsum needles that just sparkle like crazy and you might realize like i am the first human the first animal the first living thing maybe even that's gotten the chance to breathe in this space and you keep that forever and you foster that and you take care of that and the final new frontier and that's amazing about all sorts of different sports and recreation there's just discovering new frontiers all over and caving is just one of those new frontiers that is incredible i can't i don't know that there's been any been very many opportunities for me to step into virgin territory as it were like (laughs) how what a unique experience that is Mm -hmm. to to literally like push and crawl and squeeze your way through yeah, these and you do push and crawl and squeeze <laughs> yeah, to get into a space that mm-hmm. no other human maybe no other animal has ever occupied wow mm-hmm. that is that is some incredible stuff yeah what so maybe you can give me both uh ends of the spectrum here what was a moment in your caving experience where you were just in awe where it was maybe you're you came into a new space or or something that really just surprised you about being in a cave and then maybe what was a time where maybe you struggled mm-hmm. in the cave what, what did you ever have you ever gotten stuck mm-hmm. somewhere or something so we'll start with the the good stuff <laughs> yeah <laughs> so the good stuff of course that's an that's easy to answer um so again a lot of my caving work has been done at wind cave national park that's up in the black hills in south dakota and that the caves in there are just phenomenal. The way that those hills uplifted back when the Rocky Mountains were being uplifted, they uplifted this section of limestone and granite all through the uh, Black Hills. And the limestone through there is just streaked with passage. We also have Jewel Cave, which is the second longest cave in the world at 200 miles. So just within this tiny section of our planet in South Dakota, we have 300 over 350 miles of passage within these two caves, plus a whole bunch of others. And so within Wind Cave, it's really cool because all 151 miles are within one square mile at the surface. So it's basically a maze cave. It's like a bowl of spaghetti. It's just a giant 
ball of passages. And so we divide that into three different levels of cave, upper, middle, and lower cave. If you ever have the chance to go visit this national park and go on a cave tour, you'll get the chance to see upper and middle cave, depending on what tour you go in. But lower cave, you can only go to if you are, for some reason, have been invited to go on a scientific expedition to go down into lower level cave. And I got to go there for the first time back in 2016. We were going down to these lakes that are down there to get some water samples. And you drop down, you do this crazy chimney through this formation called box work, which is basically sharp shingles poking at you. And then you get down this chimney and you're in a canyon. And the canyon is lined with pure white calcite bubbling with formations and you're just walking. You've been crawling and crawling and crawling and all of a sudden you're deep, you're the deepest you've ever been in our earth and you're just walking through a sparkly, sparkly, pure white canyon and it was the most, um, one of the most amazing moments of my life. It was phenomenal. And then you get to the lake that is so crystal clear, you don't even see it. You got to be careful not to step into it. And you don't want to disturb the lake. So you got to just chimney, you know, spider style over the fucking, over, whoops, <laughs> over the, um, the, uh, the chimney over the lake. And that was amazing. Just wow. walking passages of canyons. Like if you think you've seen a slot canyon, see a slot canyon in a cave. It's unbelievable. <laughs> As a canyoneering guide, I can kind of try to imagine what that looks like and piece it together, but I, oh, it sounds otherworldly. Truly, that's oh. the best word to describe it. <laughs> How stunning. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's incredible. Yeah. Okay, so what was your least? <laughs> so my least favorite, this is a very human quality. Caves are all about leave no trace, right? which means if it's a dry cave and most caves otherwise, you cannot, you can, you must bring everything out and that includes any human waste. Right. Yeah. Wag so wag bags are a real, yeah. are a real thing, just like in the desert. If you got to go, you got to carry it out. Now, human, you know, the solid stuff, you open the wag bag and that's fine. But as a woman, sometimes it's a bit difficult for the liquid stuff. So sometimes you just decide to hold your pee the entire cave trip. And I was down in the section of lower level cave, beautiful passages, and it hit me. Oh, no. And I had to go so bad. And the decision was either I put it in, I use my one water container and oh, no. drink all the water and just try and aim or I hold it. And I decided to hold it and I cried. And finally, I got to the top of the, I got out of the cave and um, the release was majestic. <laughs> it was a very beautiful experience of just pure carnal animal <sighs> just needing to release do what that. We need to so do. Yeah. I'll crawl through any space and get myself out of there. But having to pee in a cave, if you forgot to bring your um, pee funnel as a yes, woman, yes. it's very hard to do. <sighs> That is not really what I would imagine being difficult about that situation, yeah. but it's so part of the whole experience. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Me, yeah. I'm like, but no, how did you squeeze your shoulders through these things? And how did you deal with <laughs> like all the weird bugs down there and all of that? Like, no, I'm just like, no, I had to pee. Just, I had to pee. I had to pee. <laughs> That's amazing. Oh my gosh. Oh. Any cavers are listening being like, you should have just peed at the bottle, but I was stubborn. That's fair. <laughs> 
And I forgot <laughs> was, my funnel. I didn't want to make a mess and not do proper leave no trace. Well, so. and, and you left no trace. So I you left really, no trace. That mm-hmm. was admirable of you. Thank you. Even if you almost <laughs> peed your pants. Uh, yeah. Good for you. <laughs> Gosh. So the other thing that I'm really fascinated about by your experiences are your time in the parks which Mm -hmm. we've talked about a lot already but you said you've led a lot of tours and a lot of different you've guided through the Mm -hmm. caves and it sounds like through zion as well Mm -hmm. are you doing some guiding down there as well so that brings up something that i am terrified of as well sometimes or at least i used to be and that's public speaking like you Mm -hmm. are super well spoken and obviously that has come through lots of practice Mm -hmm. but could you tell me a little bit more about what that involved and like the guiding and and what you loved about that what was difficult about talking to groups of people all all of that yeah so for a long time I got the opportunity to work as a park ranger for the National Park Service it was a wonderful job that I loved very very much and I was a park ranger at Wind Cave National Park as well as at Zion National Park, both places. I then went back and did caving and went back and did bat work. So I started out as a ranger. And that job was amazing because my entire reason of employment was to simply study the world I was experiencing every day and create a dialogue to facilitate my love of this natural world and just foster that love to everyone that came through the parks and came through my programs. And it was really powerful. I got to learn the power of having a platform because with these parks, I got the opportunity to create programming on really whatever I wanted to, as long as I had an interest in it and it was somewhat related to that national park. So I really got the chance, whether it was about like at Zion National Park, talking about like Native American rights or at um, Wind Cave National Park, talking a lot about evolution and the mammalian food chain. I got the chance to create a beautiful program using a platform that I had. And it really taught me the power that public speaking is to be able to kind of help people learn and adapt and when it comes down to conservation which for me everything goes back to taking care of this planet and just simply having a discussion with someone and an intellectual conversation with someone whether it's with one person on a trail randomly that you're just hiking on or if it's a prepared program for 150 people it's really a beautiful opportunity just for humans to speak and share stories and learn and grow and I'm so grateful for it absolutely I mean you're you're so correct in that it is an amazing platform and the spread of ideas is so well Mm -hmm. done through through speaking and communicating and having these sometimes super personal conversations Mm -hmm. and sometimes just in front of a group of people you don't know at all so that's incredible what helped you were you ever nervous about (laughs) public speaking what was was there a specific like tactic Mm -hmm. or or method that you used to help you get past that yeah so I like a lot of people used to be nervous about public speaking and I used to be embarrassed like by my voice I 
am actually a twin, and me and my twin sister, we had our little twin dialect where we pronounced some things not the way you're really supposed to pronounce them. And so I actually had to go to speech therapy as a, as a child. Really? Um, yeah, to work on my pronunciation of words so people could understand what I was saying. Oh, and um, then when I was doing when I um started traveling I got the opportunity to really realize I mumble and I speak really really fast and um that's not very helpful for people to understand so a lot of also just traveling and kind of learning that like worldly dialect that is actually easy for people to understand and dictating and inflection and that all just came from having conversations with people and once I got to the National Park Service If I was ever nervous, I just reminded myself that I loved what I was speaking about and that even if my program went bad, I had researched this topic and I loved it and that empathic love, like that wanting of protecting this land, that that I could share. Even Mm -hmm. if I went off script and just started talking about who knows what, We're all just humans and we're meant to share stories. Humans have been talking stories around the fire since the beginning. Like that's what started culture. That's what started this, what we think of as humanity. So just kind of taking a step back from what I was supposed to be talking about and just looking at who I am, what I wanted to do, what platform I had. And that really helped humble me and helped me get through my programs on days that I was a little nervous for. (laughs) Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that really speaks to communicating about what you're passionate mm-hmm. about because yes. that it shows when I see you speaking <laughs> in front of me right here you're you're enthusiastic and you're very articulate and you use your hands and that, <laughs> those are all like attributes that, that that lead to a good speaker you know and to someone who's well-spoken and it shows and we're basically doing kind of that in a, in a less primal way with our fancy microphone mm-hmm. and our gas heater right here you know it's it's, it's altered version but no, that's incredible because I know that it was very difficult for me to get used to my voice mm, and, oh my and gosh. to hear it. You're like, yes. oh, wow, this is something that I haven't really participated in before. And it's really weird to hear myself speak a lot. But like you were saying, it's absolutely worth it. And when you're really passionate about a subject, it it comes out that yes. way, regardless of of how, if you stumble over your words or whatever. And so it's beautiful that you went from having a language with your twin and, and having to go to speech therapy to now you're traversing through caves and, and dealing with bats and, and then communicating incredibly well with others about them in order to spread knowledge and awareness about the environment and the animals in that environment. I think that that is just such an amazing full circle. I'm so Aww. just inspired by that. And it's really cool to get to know more about that about you. I'm so oh, so into that. Oh, I love it. <laughs> so, wow. I feel like that kind of sums everything up. I yeah. feel like I've hit all the things that I wanted to talk about. And wow, I've learned so much about bats. I'm so excited about that. That is oh, one sparkly of the poop. sparkly Voodoo. poop. Oh, man, I Ghost wish bat. I was that excited. Gotta look up that face. Ghost bat. Done. Mm-hmm. Done and done. I will do that. Wow. Well, I guess to kind of tie things together and end a little bit, um, I feel like a lot of the subjects we broach today have to do with fear, or mm. maybe not you in particular, but I know that a lot <laughs> of people are 
have fear towards bats, towards tight spaces, aka me, that's <laughs> me, um, and public speaking, but you have seemed to master all three of those and, and be enthusiastic about them. What do you have a general piece of advice that you would share to those who are struggling with fear of any of those things or just in general? Like what, what has helped you overcome your fears in order to do the amazing things you do with your life? That's an awesome question. Um, the reality is I'm an incredibly anxious person. I have my anxieties I have to deal with all the time. And through that, you know, I've just really learned, and I think this speaks for a lot of people, that fear is just endorphins. And it's just the way that we process that. It's our heart starts palpating because we're excited. And so for me, the things that we fear the most often are the things we have the most to learn from and the most to grow and develop. And like I was saying with crawling through those caves, I don't love the tight spaces, but I just know, firstly, I stretch, I, I um, trust the science of it. Mm-hmm. I've researched, I know that this cave is stable, that it has survived many, many, many earthquakes, that it's been around for hundreds and millions of years. So I like to trace my thoughts in logic, and then I just trace my thoughts in I'm excited. I'm excited about this, and maybe I'm scared right now, but what might happen next I don't know and then you crawl into that room full of cave formations and icy walking canyons and it's all worth it oh that is I couldn't put it any better myself wow thank you so much for chatting with me and I love that you you remind me that yes fear is just excitement yeah being expressed differently (laughs) and we can turn that fear back into excitement and literally venture forth and do whatever we're terrified of in a safe way obviously (laughs) but well kelly thank you so so much for chatting with me for meeting with me for sharing your amazing adventures and your love for all of these activities (laughs) and these animals and i'm just so inspired by that so if somebody is looking for you or looking for maybe information on any of these things uh where can we find you yeah well i mean my Instagram is Ranger Swift because I am a ranger and my last name is Swift. And as far as information, if you want to learn a lot about bats, I really suggest that you look up this super amazing organization called Bat Conservation International. It um, is an organization that works all over the um, all over the world doing bat research. Um, my boss, shout out to Zach Warren of Zion National Park, works with them as a vertical habitat specialist, and it's an amazing organization and they have a beautiful website where you can just dive deep into bat facts and modern research that's going on. So that's Bat Conservation International. If you want to learn more about caves, honestly, go to the National Park Service and Google search caves in their little search bar. The National Park Service website is already amazing for information on all sorts of subjects, but they have a lot of really good information about caves. And um, just... Really, if you want to learn more at night in the summer, go out and look at a light post and watch bats fly because they are the most amazing acrobatic animals ever. So go outside and just look and see what you can find. I'm, I'm going to do that. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> I'm already obsessed with bats. Now I'm even more. Also, ghost fate bat. Ghost, ghost bat. Bat. That mm-hmm. is what I'm going to look up as well. Yes. Thank mm-hmm. you so much, Kelly. This was such a pleasure and 
thanks for meeting with me. Yeah, thank you for having me. This was a pleasure. Absolutely. I learned so much. I hope that that has given you guys an opportunity to reevaluate some things that you previously thought were scary or intimidating or that you didn't like, particularly bats or type spaces or public speaking. All of it really is a little intimidating to all of us. Um, So I hope that you guys have a new perspective on that and that you also learn some things because I definitely did. And just to wrap things up, thank you all for listening and for being here. If you like what you heard, please rate and subscribe. That helps so much with this podcast. If you want to support us, you can find the show at patreon.com slash ventureforth podcast. You can be a Patreon there and help support us through that. If you want to just donate, you can find us through Venmo at VentureForth. Feel free to donate there. I am doing this as a solo project, so anything that you guys want to do to support is amazing, and please leave a review if you want, because I would love to read some of those, and feel free to share this with anybody that you might feel would be inspired by stories of others who have chosen to live bravely, to face their fears, and to venture out into the unknown. So thank you so much for being here. Until next time. Bye-bye.